Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm going to read it again for those who are on Zoom because my microphone is going to them, I hope. Um, And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so when you read this passage, which if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're probably really familiar with this. You've probably heard sermons on this. You've probably read books about this. Um, when you read this passage, what comes to mind? Um, so, so especially action items. Like what kind of stuff does that make you think you should do? Just start shouting stuff out. Okay, make friends who are not Christians. Yeah, what else? Evangelize. Be familiar with the gospel. Know the gospel, okay? Live out the gospel. Baptize. Teach. Teach what? Teach, teach the commandments of Jesus. Yeah, okay. What are some things, like, just some, like, big picture, like, activities or, or callings that you think of when you read these passages? Foreign missions. Foreign missions, yeah. Anything else? Seminary. Go, okay, seminary, Christian education. Do any of these things seem practical? What is practical? Hmm? Yeah, parishes. Yeah, neighborhood parishes. That's a good thing. Inviting people over for dinner. We're going to talk a lot about that. All right, so we've got a lot of stuff on the board. Um, the point of this is, is we all come in with kind of preconceived ideas of what it means to make disciples. And guess what? Like, all of these answers, they're right. Like, they're, these are all good things that we should think about and that we should do in light of this call to make disciples. But then we have this question, which is, what is a disciple? What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. Any competing uh, definitions or any additional comments about that? A student, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think those two words, uh, those two really sum it up. Uh, Disciple is rooted in in this concept of discipline, um, being taught, one who is taught, um, a follower. And Jesus' disciples would have understood themselves to be disciples in as much as they were followers of Jesus. They uh, They were learning from his school, um, and they were emulating his practices. They were um, aligning themselves with his worldview. Um, and so, so if disciples are, are followers of Jesus, what is disciple making? What is this thing, make disciples, that we have called each other to? Yeah, make other followers of Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I mean, the goal is to see non-Christians become Christians, but does that encompass the fullness of disciple-making? Yeah, yeah, and so, so we have this idea of it's not just telling people the gospel in hopes that they'll that they'll turn to Christ, but it's also guiding people in what it means to follow Jesus and in how to be a Christian, right? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, okay. What else? I, I, okay, so the next two weeks, we're going to focus primarily on this idea of being called to reach the lost, called to reach people who are not Christians. Um, but disciple-making or discipleship is, is really an all-encompassing term, right? And so when I spend time with Christian brothers and sisters and they encourage me in the faith, they uh, remind me that my sins are forgiven, they uh, teach me something that I didn't know, or, or they model something about the Christian life that I need to learn, that's also discipleship. It's disciple making. Uh, We're making each other into more faithful disciples. And so like the term disciple making implies like not become like becoming a disciple, but discipleship encompasses all of that. And so it is discipleship to reach out to the lost and it is discipleship to to care for one another. Um, Something that we'll get into later is this idea in the scriptures that the church is called to kind of two different kinds of love. We're called to brotherly love, and we're called to, to the love of strangers or outsiders. But both are encompassed in this idea of disciple-making or discipleship. Um, so if we want to see non-Christians become Christians, we want to see our Christian brothers and sisters grow in their faith, what are markers of success in disciple-making? How do we know that we're doing a good job? Fruits of the Spirit. Talk more about that. Okay, so when we see the people that we're caring for, whether they're already Christian brothers and sisters or non-Christian, begin to display the fruits of the Spirit, um, then, then that's a marker of success. We're seeing people grow in their character, in their spirituality. Okay, what else? Okay, when, when somebody starts actively engaging with the church, we can say, oh, that's, that's a success marker. Uh, we've seen someone start coming to our parish gathering or Sunday gathering regularly when before they weren't. Okay, what else? Yes, someone is baptized and, and has proclaimed that, that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They've become a Christian. That's absolutely fundamental to success. What else? Yes, so somebody has been starting to show fruits of the Spirit. They've been engaging with the church. They've been baptized into the faith, and now they're sharing their faith with others. That's a marker of success. Um, Yeah, okay, so that's great. So when we are are developing relationships with with people showing hospitality to people and we see that, oh, these people like are recognizing that I'm a trustworthy person, that I'm a safe person, that I'm a person who loves them and cares for them. Absolutely, that's a marker of success. 
Yeah, okay, so showing, showing genuine friend love to people um, and, and in, a, in such a way that they don't, they don't view your relationship as, as I am just this person's project, uh, even if there is certainly an, a motive, right? Like, there's, there's certainly a desire that those that we engage with who are not Christians would become Christians, and we shouldn't be shy about that. We shouldn't apologize about that, but we should show that we love them regardless of whether or not they turn to Christ, that, that we're going to love them, that we are truly uh, desire to be a friend to them. Absolutely. So I asked this question of, of success markers in, in disciple-making because um, I think it's easy to get discouraged when we think about this, when we're not seeing fruit, right? Um, and, and I've heard a lot in the church this idea uh, of, of encouraging the church when, when, and saying, well, when you're not seeing fruit in discipleship, like when you're not seeing people come to Christ, um, that doesn't mean that you're not being faithful, right? It doesn't mean that you're not being faithful if you're not seeing fruit. And, and I, think, I think there's something really helpful there, right? Jesus, the apostles, they agree that like we can sow seeds, we can have others water those seeds um, and, and stuff, but God is ultimately the one who gives growth, right? Somebody coming to faith, that's the work of God. It's not dependent upon us. Um, and so when somebody comes to Christ, like sure, it's a marker of success, but when someone doesn't come to Christ, it's not necessarily a mark of failure or unfaithfulness. And, and yet that's a tension, right, with the scriptures that talk about a tree is known by its fruit, right? And, and, and uh, good trees produce good fruit. Um, and, and so I was wrestling with this and I was reading uh, from, from a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. And, and he says, essentially, faithfulness does not necessarily yield fruitfulness, right? You can be faithful to God and the things he's called you to, and there might not be fruit. Like, the, the soil might be hard. The Lord may have hardened hearts. Like, the people may have hardened their own hearts. Like, there's all sorts of things that are out of your control, and he says, but we can't change our expectations to match our experiences, right? So maybe you've been really getting after evangelism for a year, and you haven't seen anybody come to Christ. And so then you start to think, well, evangelism is this thing that I'm called to be faithful in, but nobody's ever actually going to come to Christ through my ministry. Um, and, and Spurgeon is really hard on this idea and he says, because ultimately what that begins to reveal is that you don't believe that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all. And so when we engage in this effort of making disciples, we have to expect and believe that God is serious when he says his gospel is good news for sinners, that he desires people to come to know him. So we should go into it expecting that people will come to faith and that God rewards faithfulness through fruitfulness, right? And so if we go in with the faith that says, okay, I know this person is far from God now, but I believe the gospel can change them. I believe God can do it. Then maybe he will, right? But if we go into it with this attitude of people's hearts are too hard, this person's too far, but I'll do my Christian duty, uh, but not expect anything, I think our expectations will probably be met. 
Um, and so I, I want us to be a church that expects the Lord to move when we make disciples. Um, with that in mind, kind of having thought through some definitions, couched ourselves, I, I want to take a minute to, to just say this is a topic that I know most of us in the room are at least a little bit uncomfortable with or maybe insecure about. I partially know that because through very um, inexact science, um, Slack revealed that. When I said give a heart if you're looking forward to this and give a thumbs up if you're coming, and the basic data shows that one-third of you came but were not looking forward to it, <laughs> um, which I, you know, I thought was honest. I appreciate your honesty. Um, but I, I want to I just take like three minutes and, and just let people share, like just shout out what are things that, that you feel uh, like guilty about as we come into this conversation? What do you feel afraid about? What, like when you think about making disciples, what are just things that come into your head that you feel like this is a negative thing? I'm afraid. Uh, I, I don't believe this or uh, I feel guilty about the way I've handled this in the past. Uh, what are some things that just come to mind? What? Rejection, yeah. Being afraid of rejection. Anybody feel that way? Yeah? What else? Yeah, afraid of, of making this about, about yourself, yeah. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, being made an outcast, like receiving opposition. Yeah, anybody afraid of that? Especially maybe in your workplace or in your family, depending on what that's like. Being canceled. Anybody feel that way? Yeah? Feeling unqualified. Like, I, I want to do this, but I don't feel like I have the words, I don't have the skills, I, I don't have the right answers. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, okay. What? <laughs> having, to talk, having to talk to people. No, I, I'm glad someone said, who's just like afraid of like having to talk to people? Yeah? Or having to have people in your home. Yeah, okay. What else? Oh, yeah. So I, I'm afraid that in my efforts to to show people God's love, God's grace, that I will actually make them hate Jesus more. Anybody afraid of that? I think you said it. I'm afraid of nothing happening. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody feel like they're afraid of, of putting a lot of time, effort, energy, prayer, emotion into this and, and seeing no fruit? Yeah. What else? Yeah, so kind of along the lines of what Vanessa was saying, but making their view of Christians even worse. Being a bad witness. Anybody afraid of that? Yeah, being, being shown to be a hypocrite. Anybody afraid of that? Yeah? Anybody afraid of, like, just not having the answers that people are going to have? Questions? Yeah? Yeah, it, 
Yeah, anybody afraid, like, I, I want to make disciples, but I look at my schedule, I don't know when I'm going to do that. Like, be honest. I know y'all will think that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to do this, but maybe it's going to hurt my friendships with people I'm really comfortable with. Maybe it's going to be hard on my marriage. Um, anybody feel those things? appearing foolish, just like Paul says, we will appear foolish. Anybody afraid of that? Yeah. Anybody afraid of, like, just the cost of being hospitable? No? All right, that's good. Yeah. I am, a little bit. Um. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so I, I had written a lot of examples, but y'all already said them all, so that's good. Um, and so, uh, like, I want to say, okay, we've all said these things that we're afraid of. Maybe you've said some things in your heart, um, and, and I'm just going to tell you right now, these fears, these worries, these insecurities, they're not just going to magically go away. Um, speaking them helps, right? You've put it out there, you've admitted it. Um, what I'm going to do in a moment, we're going to just spend a moment in prayer submitting these things to the Lord and asking that he would not allow the devil to make us believe lies, to make us afraid. Because, like, we talked a few weeks ago on Sunday about spiritual warfare, um, and if there's an area in which the devil is going to tempt you um, toward loving things more than Christ, toward loving yourself more than others, toward not being bold, toward not speaking up, like, this is the area. Um, this, is, this is the area that, that really is going to be kind of all-encompassing. You will be tempted to not do this. Um, the devil will give you lots of good reasons not to do it. Lots of good reasons why you can't do it. Lots of good reasons why that's somebody else's job who's read their Bible a little bit more than you or who seems a little bit more Christian than you. Like, there's all sorts of things that the devil's going to tell you um, and that you're going to tell yourself to prevent this work from happening. And so let's pray again. Uh, Father... Would you take our fears and our insecurities, would you take our real lack of qualification to proclaim the perfection of your glory to others, and, and would, you, would you be honored in our humility before you, um, and would you give us confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, uh, confidence in one another, uh, that we belong to one another, that this is work that we get to do together, um, and, and I pray against temptation, uh, against the work of the enemy. Um, I pray that he would, not, he would not have a hold on any of us, that he would not have a foothold in our congregation, that he would not prevent us from you moving forward. For you have said the gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against your church. And so we, we ask that you would make us people who believe that and who are transformed by that. Um, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we've already talked about we're, we're building relationships, exposing people to Christian community, um, and, and sharing the gospel. Um, and this week, we're going to focus on this idea of building relationships and exposing them to, to Christian community through hospitality. Um, there's going to be a, really a lot of this content tonight. Uh, almost all of it was ripped off from two sources uh, one was Drew Knowles, who's the pastor of Oak Forest Church, formerly Sojourn Oak Forest, 
Um, and the other is Rosaria Butterfield, um, who is a Christian writer, speaker, scholar. Um, she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, it's way better than the things I'm going to say tonight, uh, way more robust and probably more challenging. Um, but, but if you want like a handbook on what our ideal version of disciple making would be in the context of what we do at Sojourn Montrose, I cannot recommend the book highly enough. Uh, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, it will challenge you. You'll probably get mad at Rosaria. I know I did. I know Anna did. Uh, we constantly complain about how good she is. And so, like, the warning when you read it, it's like reading a book about how to play basketball written by Michael Jordan. Um, and so it's, like, it's just daunting because she's, like, so good at it. And she's practiced it for a long time, and she's so disciplined at hospitality. And so it will be challenging uh, but the stuff that she says is really helpful. Um, but, but relationships, as we talk about building relationships, relationships are hard. Does anybody experience that just relationships are hard? Yeah, okay. And, and, and there's a crisis in our country um, of loneliness, uh, specifically among adults. Uh, adults in our country are extremely lonely people. Um, this is especially true outside the church, but it's not untrue inside the church. I would imagine some of you coming in here feel very lonely. Um, even if you spend time with people in your parish, even if you know your neighbors, there's just a sense of loneliness because relationships are hard. Uh, we as a culture are not very good at it um, for a, a lot of reasons, but hospitality um, is an antidote to loneliness. Uh, hospitality is an antidote to loneliness. It's not a simple fix. It's not that all of a sudden when you invite your neighbors into your home for the first time that all of your loneliness is going to go away. Um, but, but a slow, steady commitment to being hospitable will be an antidote to loneliness. Um, we don't make disciples so that we will have fulfilling friendships. Um, that's not the reason that we make disciples. It's not the reason that we belong to one another in the church. Um, the, the Bible uses language uh, for the church of brother and sister um, because it knows, one, there's a deeper bond between Christians than merely being friends, um, and often a more challenging one than merely being friends. Um, and, and it doesn't really describe our relationships with neighbors primarily as friends. It, it calls them neighbors because there's a a duty that one has to a neighbor regardless of whether or not you have common interests, whether or not you have personalities that really click. Um, there's a duty that we have to neighbors. And so, so loneliness, this desire for deep friendships, won't necessarily be fixed quickly through being hospitable or through belonging to the church, but it is a step. We, we will use the language of strangers, neighbors, and family of God uh, throughout this class class. We're not going to talk so much about friends. Uh, really, the goal of hospitality is that we would see strangers become our neighbors and that we would see our neighbors become the family of God. And, and among neighbors and family of God, some of them, by God's grace, will become our friends. Um, but that does not mean we don't, we don't have a duty to those who are, who are merely our neighbors or, or who are merely our family of God. Um, in fact, both of those are more elevated uh, biblically than, than this idea of friendship. Friendship is a blessing, and it's good, and we should pray for it and pursue it and be faithful in it. 
Uh, but we don't make disciples to make friends. We don't come to church primarily to make friends. The Bible calls the church God's family. Um, and, and neighbors are people in our lives to whom we're duty-bound. We're duty-bound by the grace of God and by the covenants of God um, to, to be loving toward them. Uh, the hope is that our neighbors will know the love of God, that they will see, experience, and hear about the love of God that's in Christ through our relationships with them, through our hospitality toward them. Um, and that the family of the church are the people that God has saved out of death into life through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we have become sons and daughters of the king and united to one another through the blood of Christ to become true family, real brothers and sisters who, who are duty-bound to support one another, to care for one another, to confess our sin to one another, to proclaim forgiveness to one another, um, to, to be loving toward one another, and in fact, Part of hospitality and discipleship, a huge part, is the witness of our brotherly love. This is consistent from Jesus throughout the whole New Testament that, that outsiders will know the love of God because we will be showing it to one another um, and that that's a really, really big deal. Um, and so a commitment to hospitality is a commitment to people, um, which is a fight against loneliness. It's a fight against solitude. It's a fight against selfishness. Um, but, but in all of this, we're going to be pursuing the idea that we want to see strangers become neighbors. Um, and we want to see neighbors become family of God. Um, and and so, so as we think of the, the, the call to hospitality, what are words that come to mind when you think of hospitality? Your home. That's a good start. Food. Big, big part of hospitality is food. Yeah. What else? Genuine. Yeah, being genuine. Caring. Being caring. Hospitality is caring. Your stuff. Like sharing your stuff. Work. Yeah, hospitality is work. Yeah, Absolutely. Serving, service. It takes time. Vulnerability. Welcoming. Yeah, there's an unconditional nature to hospitality. That, that you can belong, you can feast at my table, you don't ever have to invite me to yours. Yeah, absolutely. It's thoughtful, yeah. Abundant, yeah. Like you're sharing in abundance through hospitality. I like that. What else? Generous. Hospitality is inherently generous, yes. What? Accepting, yeah. Intentional, yes. Hospitality is intentional. That's good. I uh, want to point out, there's a word that uh, the secular word uses um, for hospitality, especially in middle and upper class communities. They say entertaining. Hospitality is not entertainment. Um, we're not seeking to entertain our guests. We're seeking to love our guests. We're seeking to share with our guests. Um, you might be entertaining, but you don't have to entertain to be hospitable. 
Um, you don't have to have a beautiful home to be hospitable. You don't have to be a wonderful cook to be hospitable. Um, your home doesn't even have to be particularly clean to be hospitable. Um, your home can be a single-bedroom apartment and still be hospitable. Um, there, there's not like a stage of life. Like when we think of the ability to entertain, we think of like maybe wealthy family members or, or older brothers and sisters who are a little farther in their career. They bought the big home in the suburbs, and now they can entertain. Um, but we get to be hospitable with whatever we have. Hospitality is sharing all that we have, but it doesn't require anything more than what you have. Um, so, so hospitality is not just kindness. Um, and, and what we're talking about is distinctly Christian hospitality. And so when we are being hospitable, our hospitality should be distinctly Christian. When I say distinctly Christian, what things come to mind? What does that mean for hospitality to be distinctly Christian? Self-sacrificial, yeah. Like the posture of it is distinctly Christian. Sure. Prayerful. Unpack that. Yeah, it's, it's not like a flippant, oh, like, Joe's coming over. It's like, Joe's coming over. I'm going to pray for Joe. I'm going to be thoughtful about the way I prepare for him to be here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, so praying for each other, especially when we're being hosts to Christians. Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, so you're getting at something that I absolutely want to talk about. And so, no, no, that's great. And I was about to say it anyway, is this idea that uh, and I think a lot of us at times are tempted when we think about inviting non-Christians uh, into our space, like into our world, whether it's our parish gathering or the Sunday gathering or even our home, of making it sound as much like their world as possible. Right? Like, who's, who's invited someone to a parish gathering and just been like, yeah, like, we just get together with some friends from church for dinner? Yeah. Like, we, we've done that, right? But that's not what we're doing. We're getting together to share in Christian fellowship, to pray for each other, to talk about the Bible, to encourage one another in the faith. At least I hope these are the things that are happening at your parish gatherings. They're distinctly Christian events. A, a dinner in a Christian home is a distinctly Christian event. It is not like dinner at a secular home. We're, we're thanking God for the feast. We're talking about things of substance. We're, we're enjoying the provisions of God. There should, it doesn't have to be this moment where, where you have invited someone into your home and you're preaching the gospel to them immediately and you're, and you're like saying this really long prayer. You don't have to pull out uh, the liturgy of the ordinary every time your neighbors come over to like read through like a, a liturgy for when somebody buys a new puppy or whatever it is. Um, like, well, you, could. you could, you could, but, but when people come into our homes, they're coming into the home of citizens of heaven, and they should experience the hospitality of heaven. Um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't in fear or in a desire to be extremely hospitable, 
sacrifice those things. Because then we're actually showing them less of God's love. We're we're actually not inviting, inviting them into anything like that different from what they would otherwise be invited into, that more meaningful, right? When Caitlin was talking about earlier, like, a, a, a cool thing is when we've developed relationships with people and then they start trusting us with stuff. Like they might be, we might become the first person they reach out to when they experience crisis. Well, if there's not something distinctly Christian about our lives and our homes when they engage with it, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Why, why would it? And each one of these that you listed in the first place is a dart. So imagine that you're doing this in your home today. How many of you thought of one of these as like instead of you pray at the Lord or you're afraid to talk about something that matters or you're afraid to have to talk to people around your dinner table or you're afraid that you might mislead or misguide them and so you don't talk about anything that matters, right? I mean, these are all little blue darts that will get thrown at you by the enemy while you're trying to just entertain you, Yeah. All right, so we're going we're gonna to move on a little bit. Um, but I, if you haven't noticed by now, you can just call out stuff. You can raise your hand. Like, this being as conversational as possible is good. I also am going to warn you, like, we're probably going to go till about 930. Um, this will be the first time we've spent four hours specifically talking about evangelism and, and really years at our church. And so, like, I just don't mind keeping you up a little later. But if you have to go home, you can, and it won't offend me. It won't offend anybody um, if you need to go home. Uh, but... I think it's worth our time uh, to do this. I would like to be in bed earlier, too. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, so, so we're going to talk about this idea that Rosaria Butterfield introduces in that book, and, and it's the idea of radically ordinary hospitality. This is the definition she gives, that radically ordinary hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. So radically ordinary hospitality is using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. And here's what it does, she says. She says it brings glory to God, it serves others, and it lives out the gospel in word and in deed. The purpose of radically ordinary hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God pointing others to the Bible-believing local church and being earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. I love that. Being earthly and spiritual good to everyone we know. Like, like it, what if, if that becomes our rubric for the ways that we engage with people, like how transformative would it be? If I just thought like, oh, my neighbor's outside, I'm going to go talk to them, and my hope in that is just to be earthly and spiritual good to them. Like maybe it's as simple as just being kind, asking them how how their day goes, but, but being open to it being something more. Um, somebody pull up Luke 19, verse 10. Anybody have Luke 19, 10? Yeah? Yeah? Yes, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's, that's what Jesus said his mission statement was. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. All right, and so, so if our desire is to be 
hospitable with this distinctly Christian hospitality to build relationships, to expose people to Christian community, to share the gospel with it. The strategy begins with number one, we need to follow Jesus's lead and we need to seek strangers. Um, And so I think a lot of times in my life as a Christian, I have viewed evangelism as, as primarily when when a non-Christian relationship just falls in my lap, I'll be faithful with it. Um, has anybody else felt that way? Yeah. Like, I just happen to become friends with that guy at work. I'm going to be faithful with him. But Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. We're not going to save any of the lost. Jesus will do that. We get to be a part of it. Um, But we do need to seek the lost. We need to join Jesus in seeking the lost, which means there is an agency of us moving toward outsiders. So hospitality, it sounds really invitational, but it starts with with this exploration into the outside world of actually seeking out relationships, Uh, taking that step of, I've seen this person, you know, wherever it is, a common space, whether it's work, whether it's at the park, wherever it is that you're sharing in your driveway, your physical neighbors, I'm going to seek them. I'm going to seek to build a relationship with them. Um, So we're going to seek strangers. Number two, we're going to make them neighbors. How do we take a stranger and make them into a neighbor? What What distinguishes a stranger from a neighbor? Be curious about them. Yeah, like ask them questions. Get to know them. Learn their name. Learn their name. That's a great start. I mean, that's a, it's truly a great start. Somebody is always a stranger until you know their name. But, but once you meet, once you introduce yourself, you, you know their name, they kind of feel more like a neighbor, right? What else? Invite them into your home. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way. But hopefully after you've learned their name. They'll be more likely to say yes. Man, being a good listener. Who here just feels like a bad listener? Men, raise your hands. <laughs> right? Like, like I all the time will meet somebody and be thinking about something else, and I'll walk away and be like, I don't even know their name. Like, I, the, I missed step one. I forgot their name. It happens at the Sunday gathering when we have visitors a lot of times. I'll meet someone, and I'll be thinking about the fact that the person doing slides hasn't shown up yet, and they'll tell me their name is Joe, and I will walk away knowing I shook their hand, but I don't remember their name. And then I'll go to Tim or Nick and be like, hey, did you meet that guy? Did you remember his name? Um, yeah, so, so remembering things that they tell you. Hey, I know your kid had a birthday party. How'd it go? Um, oh, I know you were visiting your parents this weekend. How was that? That kind of stuff. What else? That's huge, sharing contact information. The, the fundamental difference in a, in a relationship when you're able to text them or call them is huge, right? Like there's lots of people in our neighborhood that like I know their name, but there's a few of them that like I've texted them. And when I see them in public, they feel more like neighbors. Absolutely. Yeah.
in doing that, uh, we were at the splash pad with the boys, and there was another dad and his little boy, and I'm like not wearing a shirt, and I have a swimsuit that's like too short, and I'm just like walking around and chasing my kids, and Winston starts playing with the other little boy, and so I just kind of walk up and I start talking to the dad, and the dad is like clearly like, he's not like off put by it, but not like necessarily very much of a I'm like, you should use your mic because people are missing this, and they should hear it. Missing it? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so start over. The highlights were shirtless and short swimsuit and meeting a stranger. At a splash pad. At a splash pad like in the, the park. Store. And Winston goes to play with the other little boy, and I start trying to talk to the dad. Um, and honestly, because we've been preparing for this, like, felt convicted, like, well, I should, like, actually try to talk to this dude. And, like, at first he's like... All right, you know, just like short answers, nothing, like whatever. And then Winston wanders off, so I wander off with Winston. But then he comes back around. So now they're playing together again. I'm like, well, what do you do for work? And he's like, so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, we continue talking such that then he turns out he lives down the street from us, and he's a single dad, and his, his kid comes to visit on the weekends. And so before we leave, I was like, hey, can I get your number? <laughs> and because um, we go to the splash pad a lot, and I thought that maybe Winston and this little boy might like to play together. And he's like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll give you my number and whatever. So he starts, he gives me his number and I text him um, and then he texts back his name. And so then I text back my full name and uh, I was like, yeah, my name's Nick Lipscomb and I live on West Main and this, like I start giving a little bio, you know, of, of who I am and everything. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he responded, he goes, uh, yeah, my name's so-and-so uh, and I'm not on social media, so if you're looking for me, you can't find me. <laughs> and... <laughs> I was like, good, neither am I, because I'm not. And he was like, oh, I thought since you gave me your full name, uh, you were trying to look me up and stuff. And I was like, no. So anyways, the long story short here was that like this, this happenstance ended up like through the texting and through the being able to know a name and do all this stuff. Um, now, last weekend, so this is like, this is a very budding relationship, right? Um, last weekend, he actually reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to the splash pad with my kid. Do you want to come with the boys? Well, we were out of town, so I couldn't. Um, but I thought that was a great, like, just being, like, I didn't even have to do the work necessarily in that case to be invited to go do something with this person who lives down the street with me. And being able to say yes in that case would have been hospitable, and we're still working on it. And then this last weekend, I invited him to do the same thing, and he was out of town. But the point is... Um, we now have a relationship, we have common ground that are built around our kids, and we have an opportunity to go to the splash pad together. That's where it starts. Yep, that's good. I like somebody snapping or clapping. Um, yeah, any other, any other thoughts on, on how does someone go from being a stranger to a neighbor? Yeah, so, so Anna's saying be out and about, like, like you're not going to see people continually enough to feel like neighbors if you're not actually out in the neighborhood. And, and one, like we're using the term neighbor very geographically here, and part of that's intentional, like we're, our desire is to reach the neighborhood of Montrose, and we've asked you to live in or near Montrose, and so we want you to meet your actual neighbors and be out and about in the neighborhood, but like... There's also something to be said for if you work in a big place, 
and you're always in your cubicle or in your office, like, and you're never in common spaces, like, the strangers at work are never going to become neighbors either. Um, and, and it's true, there are, like, a, a few families that live near us that we see regularly just because we go on a scooter ride around the neighborhood with Nathaniel, or we're going to the park, or whatever it is, and, and those people feel more like neighbors than the people that we see, like, every few months in the time that it takes them from to close their garage door after they pull in, right? Because that's how so many of our neighbors interact with the neighborhood is they pull into their garage, they close the garage door, and they go into their home. Um, but, but we're called to go outside of our doors. Um, we're, we're, like, hang out in front of your garage for a while, <laughs> you know? Like, not awkwardly, but, you know. Um, yeah, I, I think also just, like, leaning into neighbor stuff Right? There's like idyllic neighbor stuff that, that like if you grew up in a small town or a more suburban area, like you're used to like your neighbors asking if they can get a cup of sugar because you forgot to buy it at the store. Um, like one, the Simpsons live a block away from us and we're doing that all the time. Um, but, but like, but what if you just reached out to your neighbors that you didn't know very well and said, hey, like, do y'all have any flour? Because I'm making something and I don't have any. Like it's, there, nobody's going to be like, how dare you ask for a cup of flour? But it is this thing where like, oh, like now there's some buy-in to this relationship. Um, that, that, that's, a, that's a real thing. Um, all right, and so we want to seek strangers, we want to make them neighbors, and then we want to pray and labor toward the end of neighbors becoming family of God. So we want to pray and labor toward the end of neighbors becoming family of God. Okay, so we understand praying for them, and so we're not going to spend a bunch of time talking about that, but we should spend a bunch of time doing that, because if we're doing all of this and we're never inviting God to do anything, the likelihood is that he won't, because God loves to respond to his people in prayer, and he loves to show us that we need to ask him to do stuff, and he would hate for us to start making disciples of ourselves by not praying that they would become disciples of him. Because when we're talking about making disciples, we're talking about making disciples of Jesus. Not making disciples of us and our wonderful family. Not making disciples of Sojourn Montrose in this beautiful community. We're talking about making disciples of Jesus. Um, and so we should pray for it. But when we think about laboring to that end, what kind of stuff comes to mind? How do we actually labor toward a neighbor becoming the family of God? What kind of stuff do we need to do? Hmm? Yeah, we need to pray for them, for sure. What else? Invite them to things. Like, what kind of things? Yes, dinner, parish gathering, Sunday gathering, parties. Yeah, yeah, do so, like, consistently. Um, you invite somebody, and you feel the deep rejection because they happen to be out of town when you invited them. And, like, I'm not, like, mocking that. Like, I, that's a real thing where you've put yourself out there, you've invited someone, and then they, they can't go, and they probably have a perfectly legitimate reason for not going. It doesn't speak to their dislike of you, but we feel it that way, right? Like, how, like if you really like me, you wouldn't be out of town right now like like there's something psychological like that we really do like that's a real thing that we feel and so then the temptation is well I won't I won't reach out again 
Uh, they've, they've expressed that they aren't interested. But, but being faithful in pursuit of people is good. Like badgering people is, is not good. But like you've invited someone to your parish gathering and they said, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Like don't let that be the end of you inviting them to your parish gathering. Maybe you spend some more time with them. Maybe a month later, they've come over to dinner. You've developed a little bit more, more rapport. And then you say, hey, I know last time you, you didn't feel ready for that. I, I'd love to invite you again or, or, or invite you to, like, I, I'd love to know. What, what do you think it means to feel ready for that? Um, yeah. Bring other believers into that relationship. Yes, yeah, so we don't make disciples alone or in a vacuum. And, and so much of this idea of hospitality, like, the natural thought is toward families inviting people into their home, right? And so, like, do any single people in here just feel like hospitality is not something that I can really do in the same way that my married brothers and sisters feel like? Yeah. Yeah. I know I felt that way when I was single. And, and one, it's not true. You can. Um, and... And single people are often very lonely, and so your single friends, like inviting the, them into your home is a huge thing. But, but also, like, if there's a reason that you feel like, man, I can't commit to people coming into my home. Maybe your roommates would just not be cool with it. Um, maybe you feel like you're really, really insecure about your space and, and having people into it. Maybe, um, maybe you feel like, I honestly can't afford to do that. Like, I can't, I can barely afford to feed myself right now. I can't afford to feed other people. Um, good news, you're in part of a neighborhood parish. Find people that you can partner with in hospitality. Um, find, like, like, maybe you're single and you say, I really want to be faithful in hospitality. I don't know how to do it in my space. I don't feel comfortable doing it in my space. But I'm going to ask this family in my parish, especially one that I live near, like, will y'all invite me to stuff that y'all do with neighbors? Or, or when you invite neighbors over for dinner, like, can I bring a dish and be a part of that? Like, can I, can I help clean up afterward? Can I really participate in this hospitality? Like, that's a beautiful thing. And when we're hanging out with neighbors, inviting other sojourners into that is a really valuable thing. Like, um, or when you're hanging out with sojourners, Inviting neighbors into that is a really valuable thing. What other thoughts? Forgive them when they're bad neighbors. Yes, they're going to be bad neighbors. Like, we're going to experience people being bad neighbors toward us. Being, uh, we're going to experience having put expectations on people to be good friends to us, to be kind to us, and they won't be sometimes, and we have to be forgiving toward them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so for those who couldn't hear, um, particularly online, the idea of, like, 
fighting against being viewed as a hypocrite through being vulnerable. Like, um, people really appreciate other people who have the humility to admit they don't have it all together. And people really appreciate Christians who admit that because a lot of people have this view of Christians uh, of being people who think they're perfect and think they're better than everybody else when, like, anybody who believes the gospel knows that's, like, that's the opposite, right? Like, we know we're very not perfect and that we desperately need Jesus. And, and so being honest about that, like, being honest about things you struggle with, um, like, it, it, in whatever it is that, that you're talking about. Um, yeah, what are other... Other things. How do we labor toward that end? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Vanessa's getting at this idea that like Christian homes and Christian lives should be safe for people. Um, and so people who feel insecure, people whose lives are a mess, people who are in crisis, um, people who are going to need you to give a lot to them and will not be able to give anything in return, we need to as, as obviously as possible proclaim to our neighbors that like you can do that. Like you can come and you can take from us. We're glad to give. Um, you can come and be whoever you are in our home. We would love to have you. Um, and this is also part of what distinguishes Christian hospitality from entertaining, right? Like, hospitality has no dress code. It has no expectation of, of norms. Like, people are going to generally be polite. People are generally going to have, like, a, an understanding of how to show up. But sometimes people are not going to show up well, and that's okay. Part of laboring toward the end is recognizing that, like, the person that you invited over is, they seem like they're really struggling. And, like, ask an honest and safe question to them. Like, like if you don't mind me saying it, it seems like you're having a bad day. Like, do you want to talk about it? Like, is there anything going on? Uh, I mean, honestly, I would put this in, in all of your repertoire. How can I pray for you? People who aren't Christians and who don't pray and don't think prayer works in general, like it when people pray for them. It's true. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever asked anybody if I could pray for them, and they said no. Well, I have. I have had people say no, but then I've told them, I won't pray with you now, but I'm going to pray with you later. I'm going to pray for you later, and they've said, that's fine. And there's a, there's a sense of someone feeling loved by that. Um, but asking someone, how can I pray for you? Or I know that's hard, can I pray for you? And then when they say yes, do it then. Pray with them. Pray for them. Let them experience God's grace through prayer. Um, like, it's a huge thing, and it's so little cost. Like, it's just the cost of us stepping slightly out of our comfort zone. Um, other things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that's having to be that authentically. Yeah, showing that there's not strings attached, that you're not trying to get anything out of your neighbors, that like it's not it's not so that you can hand them your resume at the end of dinner. It's not so that 
like whatever it is. It's like, I invited you over because you live near me. I invited you over because I met you at this thing, and, and I, th- I thought it would be good to, to have you over. I, invi- I invited you over because we like having people in our home. Um, like, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, talk about faith and spiritual things early and often. So we're going to talk about this a lot next week. Um, but, but Caitlin brings up a point that is huge, which is the longer in a relationship that you have not talked about spiritual things, the more you're going to believe that you can't. Um, but when somebody's experience of you is that you are a distinctly Christian person, and that God is a big part of your life, and that thinking through these things matters, and that your church is an important part of your schedule and your priorities and all of these things, they're not going to be surprised when you talk about it. They're not going to be surprised when you ask them to pray. They might go home and say, man, Cole is this crazy Christian, like, radical. Like, he's always talking about it. Like, he's so duped into this whole God thing. Like, it's, I feel bad for the guy, but they're not going to be surprised by it. Um, and that matters, right? Like, who feels like their non-Christian family members are, like, the most daunting people in the world to talk about faith with? I, I know I do. And part of it is because we just never have, right? And I've known them my whole life. And so how could I start? Then I look like a hypocrite. Like, oh, you, you say it's so loving to share your faith with me. Well, you haven't loved me very well for 30 years. And, and, and I say that. I I do think that matters, right? I've, I was really convicted recently about this idea that we have friends in the neighborhood who know I'm a pastor of a church, and they've been in our home, and I've never invited them. Like, well, one, do I really, like, have that much pride in what I do? And two, like, wouldn't a pastor lovingly invite me to that? Like, wouldn't a Christian lovingly invite me into that? Like, people know Christians want to invite people to be Christians. They're not going to be surprised by it. Um, and so inviting people to participate, like, I, I, people will feel loved by it even if they say no and feel uncomfortable about it. They will feel more loved by it than knowing that you have this thing that's a really big part of your life, your faith is a really big part of your life, this church is a really big part of your life, like, all these things, but you're not inviting them into it at all. Like, it actually subtly is, un, like, they're going... People experience that as unloving. Um, it's our fear, it's our insecurity that prevents those things. Um, yeah. But some of my friends are not Christian, right? And so I felt awkward praying for their food. So I was like, I'm in a bow and like pray for my food. And one of them was like, so our food's not important. And so I just kind of was like, oh, do you guys care if I pray for everyone's food? And so now my friends allow me to pray for the food, even if they don't believe in Jesus or, you know, but it was just funny that I felt like it was a bad word or just mentioning God's name. Right. And so, yeah, so just, yeah, that's a good story. That's a good story. That's helpful. All right. So, so we've talked about like all these things that we can do and we could go on for hours talking about like different strategies, talk about it with your friends and your parents, talk about it with your spouses, 
um, talk about it in your renewal group. But what are values of radical, ordinary hospitality? Number one is, is caring about things that our neighbors care about. Um, so if we want to be truly hospitable, truly loving to our neighbors, we need to choose to care about things that they care about. Um, not pretend to care about things that they care about, but actually choose to care about things that they care about, so long as those things are not like demonic and anti-Christian, right? Uh, but we can still care about things that are important to them, even if we disagree with them to a degree. What are what like as an example that anybody can think of of just like caring about something that your neighbor cares about? Sports. Sports. Yeah, your neighbor really loves college football, and so like you're willing to listen to him talk about it even if you don't really watch college football, and you're willing to go over and watch college football with him every now and then when he invites you, um, just because that's something he cares about. It means something to him. What else? They're kids. Ask them about their kids. Yeah, offer to help with their kids, and as much as they're comfortable with that. Don't, like, it, treat kids like people, um, because they are people. Uh, and... And that is something that our culture in their, in their gut knows, even if their politic doesn't say so. Um, but when we treat people's kids like people, it shows them something beautiful. Yeah, what else? That's great. Yeah, so, so uh, she has a neighbor who's a yoga teacher, and she goes to his yoga class because he cares about it. It's a big deal to him. Uh, another example, uh, Nick and Reed have been in a book club with, with these guys for, I don't know, six, six years, seven years? Eight years. And one of the guys is in a band, and so Nick and Reed have gone to his band concerts. Like... So is Will. Will's gone to his concert. Yeah, and they, they've been in bands together. Uh, but, like, but yeah, like, you, don't have to, you don't really have to care about live music to show up to someone's show, to show them that you, you support them, that you know that's something that's important to them. Yeah. I mean, one of the things here is, like, if you could hear someone say, I'm into this, and you say, mm, that's not my thing, then I would start working that out of your vocabulary. <laughs> and it's, it's challenging, right? I mean, it's really challenging, especially... Because you can come up with a whole litany of things you like and things you like and things to make friends with and do all this stuff. But what sets apart the radical, ordinary hospitality of Christianity is that you smile and nod and ask questions about things that you don't care about. And then you become good care about them. Yeah. So that, that's not my thing. That starts to not be your thing. Yeah. Yeah, be, be interested in people. Um, I mean, a, a an obvious example is if somebody is coming over for dinner, ask them if they have dietary restrictions or things they just don't like. Like, that's the text that I always send to people when they're coming to our house. Do you have any dietary restrictions or things you just don't like? Right? Because somebody might not be allergic to mushrooms, but they might not like them. And so we won't, we won't make them. Right? Like, that's an easy thing. I care about the things you care about. Um, uh, second value, work from strengths and interests in building relationships. Like, this sounds like super strategic, like, um, but it's really not. Just work from strengths and interests. Um, what, are, what are some examples? So, like, your strengths and interests. How can you work 
creatively from the things that you are strong in, you're gifted in, you are interested in toward being hospitable. Cooking. You like to cook, feed people. Great. Nerdy hobbies. Yeah, you like really into Dungeons and Dragons? Invite people to play Dungeons and Dragons. Talk about it, right? Sure. Reading someone's lease. Yeah, if you happen to be a lawyer uh, and you want to read someone's lease for them to make sure they're not going to get really railroaded by their landlord or do that. I mean, truly, that's, that's a good option. What else? What? Going out to eat together. Yeah, go, like, oh, you're interested in restaurants? Have you been here? Let's go. Yeah. Be their real estate agent. That's great. But still take the commission, because it's your job. (laughs) Unless they can't afford it, and then it's your job as a Christian to not take the commission. But that's a different conversation for later in the class. Um, What else? Yes, so, so if, if, if an elderly person or I live next door to you and we don't know how to use technology, help, help us figure it out. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think one of my favorite examples is uh, there is a neighborhood kids music class run by Sojourn Women, and it's just we have kids and we're interested in them, and you have kids and you're interested in them, and so let's do this thing together. Like, that's a... It's just like, it's a layup um, to do those things. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, if you're, if you're handy... And you know somebody, like, has an issue at their apartment or their house. Like, say, like, I know how to do that. I can, I can handle that. Like, um, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to help you with that. You know, those are great opportunities. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If, if, you, if you have a feeling like a neighbor would definitely engage in, like, on neutral turf, like a park or, or meeting at a coffee shop to hang out, and they, they would maybe be put off by being invited into your home, like, do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, offer to help people move, like, like, offer rides to things, like, whatever it is, like, ways that you can serve people, but also, like, think about like things that you are genuinely interested in, uh, that you're genuinely good at, and how do you leverage that, right? Like I, there, I like to fish, I like to fly fish, and I know a guy in the neighborhood who also likes to do that. And so when I see him, we talk about it because we probably don't have that many people to talk to him. Like, but it's, it's like, it's a, it's a common interest. Like, that's good. You don't have to have common interests to be neighborly, but when you do, like, go for it. Um, and so value number three Include people your neighbors care about um, in, in the thought of hospitality. So we've already talked about kids, right? Pets, like, yeah, 
those things, but also, like, their friends, their parents, like, as you get to know people and, and know the people that they care about, um, if your neighbor tells you, like, that their dad's sick, like, pray for their dad, tell them that you're praying for their dad, and ask about their dad. Like, that's, that's it. It's one of those things where, like, it requires listening. It might require writing something down, but, like, those things matter. Uh, you know their kid, like, was in the hospital, like, talk to him about it. You know they went to visit their brother, and they've talked about how they don't really like their brother, and that's a really hard thing. Well, when they get back, like, ask him, how was time with your brother? Like, I, I was praying for that. Um, yeah. Uh, invite those people, right, like, when you can. You know, if you know, we, we had some neighbors, that they don't live near us anymore, but they had, like, a, a, some friends that they were always at their house. And so they, like, invited us into being part of that friend group a little bit. And then we, like, got to know their friends, and we would invite them to do things. And it was one of those things where it's like, we don't live near Michael and Mallory. We don't really know Michael and Mallory, but we know that Adam and Danielle love them, and so we're going to invite them to stuff too. And Adam and Danielle are going to be more likely to care if, if we've also invited the people that they care about and enjoy. Um, so principles of hospitality, like what are guiding principles? Number one, our time is not our own. Um, your schedule doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. The hours in your day don't belong to you, they belong to God. Um, and so in as much as uh, I think most of us probably have a firm grip on our time and don't want to give it to other people or to things that are hard or exhausting, I know this is me. Like, this is a huge issue for me. Um, my time is not my own. I need to give it to people. Um, this doesn't mean, especially for you introverts who are already just so overwhelmed by this whole conversation, like, this doesn't mean that you should never spend alone time. Like, th this doesn't mean that you shouldn't do things that help you recharge. But, but it does mean that you need to be diligent in scheduling that alone time, being disciplined in getting the time you need to be recharged so that you can give other time to, to people. Um, number two, our home is not our castle. Your home is also God's, and it's for God and his glory. It's not your castle. Um, I know if you bought a home in this neighborhood that you spent a lot of money on it, um, money that you probably worked really, really hard for, um, and it's tempting to get this sense of, of pride, and this is my place. I'm going to use it how I want. I'm going to fill it with things for me and, and all of this, but your home is not your castle. There is one king. His name is Jesus, and your home is part of his castle, um, and so how can you leverage it for his good? Um, one of the examples in the Butterfield book that I thought was really helpful was she told this story about her friends, uh, or her kids having friends in the church, and, and her kids had asked these friends in the church how their Thanksgiving was, and, or who they had in their home for Thanksgiving. And the, the kids responded with this quip, two chairs, no more. And the kids pride, and were like, what does that mean? And, and the, these kids were like, well, our dad says we can have two extra dining room chairs because our home is for our family, and we're never going to have more than two other people in our home. And they were like, oh, so who were the two people you had in your home? And they said, we didn't have anybody in our home. It was kind of boring. Um, like, that can't be our attitude. Like, 
You don't need more chairs for people. You got a coffee table people can sit around. You got a rug people can sit on. You got a cooler you can pull out of the garage and somebody can sit on that. Like there's all kinds, like the idea of we don't have enough space for people, like that's just not, like it's not as much of a thing that we think. And this idea of our home being our castle that belongs to us and that's just for our family. Like if, if that's our attitude, especially those of us with kids, and it's really easy to get this way, with kids because you're already exhausted, it's already hard, like scheduling stuff becomes a lot harder, um, but you're, you're doing your kids a disservice when you don't have other people in your home and when you teach them that your home is, is a place for, for, for only inward things. Um, our, our homes have front doors and windows um, and, and we should invite people through our, through our doors. Um, Yeah. Yeah, hosting, hosting a parish gathering is a great way uh, to, to practice hospitality. It's a very real way to practice hospitality. So ask your parish leaders, especially like, you know, they're going to be out of town or they're sick. Just say, I'll host. Um, uh, number three principle, God didn't get your address wrong. Um, he, the place that you live is the place God has put you, at least for now. Um, he put you there, and he put your neighbors there. He, he didn't get your address wrong. And so when you look around and your, your neighbors are hard to engage, your neighbors are hard to build a relationship with, they're in a different life stage, they, they don't have common interests, they are the people that God has given you to reach out to. God gave you your neighbors to you for a reason, so trust them with it. Uh, number four principle, uh, relationships over busyness. So we need to value relationships over busyness. Um, we have a particularly busy congregation. Like, I know this is something that, like, is, is true of our family. I know it's true of most of y'all. Like, that we're just busy. We have a lot of stuff that we're doing. Uh, we have jobs and projects and, and interests and, and all these things. But if, if our schedules are so busy that we're, we don't have room for relationships... Like, we can hope to make disciples all we want, but we never will um, if our schedules don't allow for it. Uh, busyness can lead to self-absorption, um, and it, it makes ourselves more important than, than we are and more important than others. Um, and so, so be less busy. Um, leave room in your schedule for other people. Um, yeah. A lot, a lot of what I think the overarching theme here to me is discerning what is sacred and what is not. And so what is sacred in your time and what is not? So I think it's reasonable to say that Sunday mornings are sacred. So you wouldn't necessarily volunteer that time on a routine basis, although case by case is fine. Um, your home is, is not your castle. So what is sacred about your home? I, I can invite those neighbors in, but not that one. I don't want to invite that one. And this is all, like, I'm not trying to, like, we're not trying to give you hard and fast, this is how it is and this is how it isn't. But praying through that and figuring out what is truly sacred in your life and what is okay to be sacred because God has a Sabbath. He set it aside. He set aside his people. He set aside a lot of things so that they would be, like, that they would be holy and sacred. Um, but then we come in and make another bunch of other things sacred. My dining room table is sacred, like the, the two chairs thing. And I recently, like, uh, we were on a family vacation, uh, a family reunion, and I felt convicted. I'm feeling convicted even talking about it right now because... I fussed at my parents because my sister invited 
some friends to come to the family reunion. <laughs> and I literally said to my parents, this is just about family. And what my sister and mom said at the time, they didn't get mad, they just said, but they don't have any family down in Texas. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, lo and behold, like three days later, I ended up having a really serious, super spiritual conversation with the guy. And so God's like, ha. Um, <laughs> but truly, like in my mind, I had made this family reunion thing in New Braunfels like sacred and other people aren't invited. And man, how wrong was I in that? Yeah. Yeah. And so our schedules should be oriented toward the things God has called us to, um, a large part of which includes others. Um, yeah, and so, like, if your coworker who's not a Christian asks you to play golf with him on Sunday morning, like, it is a Christian witness to say you cannot play golf on Sunday morning. That you, like, you don't do that. You worship on Sunday morning. That's not being a bad evangelist. Um, and, or, you know, somebody asks you to do something on the evening that you have your parish gathering. You can say, well, I act, like, every week, actually, like, I, I have a meeting and a dinner with a group from my church. And, and so I can't do that, but I really appreciate the invitation. And I'd love for you to come next week. Um, th- like, those things are good. Setting some boundaries. Also, like, this isn't an excuse to uh, abandon your Christian friends, like your Christian brothers and sisters. And, and it's not an excuse to not prioritize things that are inherently good, healthy, and necessary, right? So don't stop having dates with your wife because you want to have neighbors over. Um, don't stop like, ha- going to your renewal group because your neighbor asked you to do stuff. But th- don't fill up every night with things that are primarily for you. Um, it- it- sacrificing neighbors. Um, it- it's okay also to have a night where you're just in the home resting with your family or your roommates or, or whatever. It's okay to do that. Um, Yeah, so those who were listening on the Zoom, uh, the, Anna brought up, like, building in some, some time in your schedule that isn't specifically devoted to uh, other people is good, especially if your attitude is, is that, like, maybe on a whim, that's an opportunity to hang out with a neighbor. Or maybe, it, like, that's a time when somebody reaches out and you can respond, like, if we're never available to our neighbors except in the strictness of when we've invited to them them to our home for dinner three weeks out because that's the only time we have, then like, like our ability to be good neighbors is sacrificed. Um, and that's hard, and this takes time. And so one of the things that we're going to talk, like, that I, I just want you to hear is all the things we're talking about, like this call toward being hospitable and neighborly, it's hard, 
And, and I understand that a lot of us in the room have like almost zero practice with really doing this in the ways that we want to. And so don't leave this class feeling like everything you're doing is wrong and that you have to change everything. Um, but more like let's talk, let's start thinking about like what are, what's like one thing this week that like I can think through like for how I can reorient my life in this direction? What's something that, like, I just need to reconsider? What's one way, what's one person I can reach out to? We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, I just want to briefly talk about some dangers to hospitality, and then we'll get into our last section. Um, dangers to hospitality are, are fears that we talked about earlier. Um, so, so all those fears that you have, all those insecurities that you have, those are a danger to hospitality. Um, boundaries are a danger to hospitality and here's what I mean by that. I don't mean it's not good to have boundaries. Um, I mean that, that we need to set some boundaries in the pursuit of hospitality so that we can do it for a long time. Um, and so, so especially those of you who are married, it, like there's probably one person in that marriage who's like way more gung-ho about all things um, others-oriented and social, um, way more extroverted, and there's probably somebody who's like way more intimidated by that or way more easily exhausted by those things. And, and so, so here's what I would say to, to husbands, and I'm ripping Rosario Butterfield off, lead your home in hospitality. Lead your home in hospitality. And here's what I would say to married couples. Let the person who gets more easily exhausted more easily overwhelmed, help set the pace. Um, if you're training for a marathon with other runners, the slower runner sets the pace. The slower runner sets the pace. And, and that doesn't mean that faster runners never challenge the slower runner. It, it never means that there's never a, like a, a, like, do you think we can take another step toward doing more? But it's like, if you go home and your immediate conversation with your roommates or your renewal group or your spouse is, okay, like, we've got seven nights this week, let's spend six with neighbors, right? Like, that's just not the goal. The goal is, like, okay, in the last three months, we've spent one night with neighbors. Like, how can we make that three? How can we make it five? Like, like how can we slowly start to incorporate this more and more? Um, uh, uh, another thing, schedules, we talked about that. Bad habits and hidden sin are going to be uh, really a, a big detractor from hospitality. If you've got a lot of bad habits in your life, a lot of hidden sin, you're, you're just going to be bad at this. Like, if you're not walking in the light, if you're not walking in faithfulness and repentance, a, a desire to pursue Christ wholly, like, the work of presenting the goodness of Jesus to others is going to be really hard. Uh, it's going to be, um, I, I, would, I would venture to say, it's, it's probably going to be uh, uh, fruitless. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be sinless. Um, it, it's, are, are you walking faithfully toward repentance, confession, faithfulness? Um, and, and here's the one that I think is most important for our congregation, uh, the idols of achievement and acquisition. Um, and so I'm going to read directly from Rosaria Butterfield so you can get mad at her. Um, One kind of household is absolutely incompetent at the practice of hospitality, utterly and completely incapable. It is as useless as grasping at the wind. 
The household that loves things too much and loves people too little cannot honor God through the practice of hospitality. The household that has too much and thinks too highly of material possessions has become seduced by the idols of acquisition and achievement. If you love acquisition and achievement, you will never practice hospitality. You might have like-minded people who come and bow before your idols, but you won't ever practice hospitality. Sometimes Christians tell me that they don't practice hospitality because they don't have enough space, dishes, or food. They fear that they do not have enough to give. This is a false fear that no one should heed. Hospitality shares what there is. That's all. It's not entertainment. It's not supposed to be. So if you, if you love your uh, extra income too much to up your grocery budget so you can start feeding other people, if you love the things in your home too much that you're not willing for your, your neighbor's kids to break them, um, like... If you, love, if, if you love the nice things that you have in your home too much that you're not willing to share them with others, you cannot be hospitable. You can entertain, um, but you can't be hospitable. Um, the, the love of money, the love of things, and the love of achievement is a particular temptation for our congregation because living in our neighborhood almost necessitates wealth. Um, and Jesus says wealthy people have a real hard time getting into the kingdom of heaven. And so if we don't start fighting against the love of money, like really seriously, um, we're not going to make disciples and we're going to just have a real hard time spiritually. We're not going to be a good witness. Um, part of the beauty of living in a neighborhood that requires wealth to live in long term is we get to show people that though maybe we have the ability to live here, that we don't live to the lifestyle of our neighborhood. Um, if we are living to the lifestyle of our neighborhood, the expectation that we're going to do all the things and have all the things that our neighbors have, then we're not proclaiming something beautiful about the Christian gospel that calls to self-sacrifice. Um, and so with that, we're going to move to the last section, which is this idea of the three tables. Um, and so, so when we think about hospitality, hospitality primarily the, the picture painted for us in the Bible is hospitality over a meal. Um, and the, the most fundamental um, definition of hospitality in, in the Bible, uh, there, there are two. The first is Eden, where God has created a beautiful and comfortable home full of his bounty, and he has invited people to come and live in it and enjoy all of its blessings. Um, and then the second that we experience every week is the communion table where God has hosted a dinner party for his people through which he transforms us into a distinct and holy people. So hear this, at the communion table, we are transformed into a distinct and holy people because we are consuming a distinct and holy Savior who has bought us, purchased us, and changed us according to his grace. So at the communion table, we really become what we eat. Right? We become Christ. The body of Christ, feasting upon the body of Christ, becomes truly the body of Christ to go out into the world. Having received the kindness of God, we show the kindness of God to others. So every week, the communion table is God's invitation to us, and it's his sending of us. 
He's invited us to become like him, to be fed by him, to be nourished by him. And then he sent us to show that sort of kindness to one another and to our neighbors. And, and so the two ways we do this are through brotherly love and through stranger love. So if anybody wants to turn to Romans 12 and follow along, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read it as soon as I can find Romans in my Bible. Um, all right, Romans 12, 10 through 11, it says this. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. So this is to the church, about the church. The Greek word there is, is like the word philadelphos, like brother love, love of brother. Um, and he goes on, he says, outdo one another in honor. Uh, what, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation, be constant in, tr in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. And verse 13, seek to show hospitality. The, the, the Greek word there is philoxenia, which literally translates to stranger love. So brotherly love and stranger love, the communion table, we're invited into the love of God to go show brotherly love and stranger love. Uh, we're called to love outsiders as though they are insiders, as God feeds us heavenly food, as though we are heavenly beings. So we love outsiders as though they are insiders. We become living sacrifices as we are united to Christ through, through the gospel and through the meal, through the bread of sacrifice at the communion table. Not to say that we're sacrificing Christ, at the, but he's been sacrificed for us and we feast upon it. Um, brotherly love is sanctified at the communion table. Um, it's where we become who we are together. Like we're consecrated as the family of God when we come feast together. Um, acceptable worship produces brotherly love, love towards strangers, so hospitality, and allows us to become the Eucharist in the world. This, this sacrificial thanksgiving offering to the world. Um, and it restores us to God and one another weekly when we feast at the Lord's table. Um, and, and when it does this, it sends us to participate in the restoration of others. So we're restored weekly at the table through the gospel, specifically through the meal. Then we're sent to participate in the restoration of the world. So Jesus is the great multiplier of humble offerings. And so our hospitality can actually make the world a better place. So in, in John 6, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, what happens? There's 5,000 hungry people and a meager offering is made to Jesus. A, a person didn't have a, a lot, but they gave what they had, Right? few fishes, few loaves, and Jesus multiplied it so that all could be feasted. And that really is a precursor to the communion table. Um, and it's a precursor to Christian hospitality where we offer our meager loaves and fish, fishes to God and we say, we're willing to give it to all these people. I don't think it's enough. And then God says, just watch. Just watch what I might do if you give me those loaves and fishes. Uh, and so then we have our parish gathering table. This is the, the, second, um, the second table. The Lord feeds us as we feed one another. Uh, so the parish gathering table is the feast of brotherly love, like in the world, where, where we are participating in brotherly love. We're showing each other the hospitality of God. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we invite each other into homes. We worship together, we pray together, and we feast together. And the parish gathering table is primarily about brotherly love. But hear this. It's the opportunity 
It bridges this gap between the communion table and your dining room table where we get to have this extremely distinctly communal Christian meal where brotherly love is present, but we can invite outsiders in. Right? Every week when we have communion, we bar that table. Right? We say, if you're not a baptized Christian, this isn't for you. But parish gathering table, you can, this is for you. You get to experience the grace of God in this. You get to experience that. Um, and it's an opportunity for people to witness, bear witness to the love of God, where Jesus says, they will know you are Christians by your love. Right? They'll know you're Christians by your love. So when we invite people to the parish gathering, we shouldn't make that a less Christian event because non-Christians are there. Instead, we should allow them to witness, experience, and, and be blessed by a distinctly Christian event. And then we have our dining room kitchen table. Right, our dining room table, our kitchen table, where we, we are welcomed by God to welcome others to, to our feast. Where, where in as much as God has given us a beautiful and comfortable home, whether it's a one-bedroom apartment in a garage, whether it's a beautiful home in, in, in the middle of Montrose, um, God has given us a home to invite people into to experience the love of God. We're extending the love of God to others when we invite them to share a meal. So, so our homes should be beacons of brotherly love, right? And so your dining room table and your kitchen table aren't just for outsiders, right? Hospitality is faithfully practiced when you invite your brothers and sisters in the parish over to your, to, to your home for a meal. Um, like, that's, that's good. Um, but it's also this opportunity to focus on the love of strangers, um, we open our tables to others. We prepare for them the kingdom of God to come into their hearts. When we invite them to, to sit at our tables, we are really preparing them to experience the kingdom of God into our heart. And, and so the kingdom of God, it comes block by block as we practice hospitality. As, as a neighbor is in the George's home, and then maybe they, they come into a parish gathering, and then eventually they're coming to a Sunday gathering, and then eventually they're feasting at the table. So the three tables is cool because it's got this centripetal force where God is sending us from his table to these other tables so that he might draw our neighbors from these tables to his table, right? Where we get to show an, a, just a shadow of God's hospitality to people, but it's significant. It's our fishes, it's our loaves, the, the stuff that we have. We get to show that to others so that one day he can show them there's more than fishes and loaves. There's actually the body and blood of Jesus and you can feast on it forever. Um, and, and so, like, we're showing them a shadow of the fullness of the kingdom of God when we invite people into our homes and feed them. Um, like, like it, it doesn't mean you have to prepare a lavish feast. It, it doesn't mean that... that it, you need a three-course meal. It, it doesn't mean that, that you need to pull out the white tablecloth. It, it's just this beauty of, of I'm inviting you into the home God's given me. I'm offering you the things he's given me to eat, and, and I'm going to share in it with you, and I'm going to show you love. In order that over time, through the grace of God, through our prayers and proclamation, people are drawn from our table to God's table, um, from our table to the parish gathering table. And and so this is really where we see strangers here. Okay, now they're neighbors. And they're slowly, slowly, slowly becoming the family of God by the grace of God through the proclamation of the, the, the victory of God. And so hospitality is not easy. It can be expensive. It's intrusive into our lives. It's inconvenient to us. It will be hard. You will get burned. 
Uh, you will feel rejected at times. You will, um, you will have experiences where you give a lot to people and, and they, they, they turn on you, they reject you, they find people who are more interesting to them, who are, you know, like whatever it is, these things are bound to happen. But, but sometimes, by God's grace, we should absolutely be expecting that this is happening, that, that people are actually coming and coming and coming and becoming part of the family of God. Some of you are in the room today because that happened to you. Because somebody invited you into their life and then they invited you to something else Christians were doing and you started hearing about the grace of God, you started seeing the grace of God, you started being compelled by the grace of God and now you feast with God forever. So if that could happen for you, why, would, why couldn't that happen for your neighbors? Um, and and so, so where do we begin as we we leave tonight, and so I'm gonna, we've got eight minutes, and so I'm gonna say, what do y'all think are good first steps that you can take? Like, as you've been thinking here, you've been prayerfully participating, you've been writing notes, like, what's something that you just feel like, this is a step that I need to take? Invite someone to dinner. Who do you have in mind? Do you have someone in mind? Yeah, great. So you invite a specific person to dinner. That's great. Yeah, get a grill and put it outside so you can cook for people. Okay. Introduce yourself to your neighbors. Right? Like who here has neighbors that like they've lived next to for a while and they just don't really know? Yeah? Introduce yourself. Love that. Yeah, that's great. What else? I love that idea. Okay, so the idea is, okay, maybe I'm a little nervous about inviting someone into my home. I'm a little nervous about hosting well, you know what's really low pressure? I- inviting a sojourner into your home, particularly one that you don't know very well. Maybe someone who always goes to the 1030 when you go to the 9, someone who's part of another parish, w- whatever. Inviting someone into your home to practice hospitality like, like, and encourage one another in that. I love that idea. That's great. Yes, share that with people in your renewal group, someone in your parish, talk to your parish leaders. Like, this is what I'm thinking. Like, God has placed on my heart. This is the step I want to take. Will you ask me about that in a few weeks to see if I've done that? Yeah, that's a great opportunity. Yeah, have a spiritual conversation with someone that you never have before. Define spiritual conversation. Yeah. Yeah, so the example here is a, a neighbor who's Jewish and but never have talked about faith or or how significant that is in their life. Maybe just saying, "Hey, like I know you've mentioned you're Jewish, like what does that what does that mean for you? Like do you like do you go to synagogue? Is that something that's more 
like whatever, like just ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to someone outside. I, I feel guilty about this I, in the morning when I run or walk, more often walk, let's be honest. Um, I always have my, my, my earbuds in. Um, but, like, people are out and about in the morning and, and, like, maybe just not having them in and being willing to stop and say hi or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, so that was when you get somebody's contact information, actually follow up quickly, like make an invitation quickly. Um, one, like it, it, it keeps this momentum of like, okay, you were a stranger, now you're becoming a neighbor kind of momentum, but also it keeps you from forgetting or from them feeling like they were an afterthought. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, like actually save their name and number. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, uh, something I have here is, is audit, audit your stewardship. Um, and so when I say stewardship, I mean this holistically, your money, your time, your space, your resources, like all the things that God has given you and given you responsibility over, just like take an audit of it. Like how are we using this? How are, like, wh- are we using our budget? for the purpose of hospitality? Is our home being leveraged for God's glory? Is our schedule being leveraged for God's glory? Just take an audit and see like, like sometimes you don't even know like what could easily change until you actually just like look at it. That's the what is actually sacred thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what's sacred? Like, yeah, put a, make a list of like things that like, like that, you're going to keep as a value in, in your schedule and make them like actually Christian things, like not just like things you want um, because sometimes God will give you those things you want and sometimes God will give you a desire to want other things um, and we need to be open to that and that's really hard. Um, so plan for hospitality. So these are all the things you've been talking about. Plan for hospitality. Take that next step. Invite that neighbor Talk to the neighbor that you don't know. Get somebody's contact info. Absolutely, these are great. Um, pray. Like, pray about this. If you're feeling discouraged because you haven't been doing this, like, pray about it. If you're feeling um, ambitious and you know you have a tendency to just get to work without praying about it, don't get to work. Just maybe spend a week just like, I'm going to pray about this every day. Pray for your neighbors. Pray that God would, would equip you for the task. Pray that your parish would become this beacon of hospitality that maybe it hasn't been in the past. Um, I think one thing, a great way that we can show hospitality as a church and, and even within parishes is when you see a new face on Sunday morning, introduce yourself. Um, I, I think in general we're really good at this. Um, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of people who come on a Sunday morning who are new that don't get engaged. Um, but, but get to know somebody, ask them if they're interested in visiting a neighborhood parish, um, help them get connected to one, even if it's not yours, um, 
but like really like guide that. So we have an assimilation like issue at Sojourn when somebody fills out a connect card. Um, and it's hard because because like somebody on staff will reach out and say like, uh, I know you're interested in visiting a parish. Like, do you live close to one? Like, there's all this conversation. And so, like, we're three or four communication points away from someone actually, actually getting to a parish gathering. And often it just doesn't happen. But if you personally are guiding that process, it almost always happens, right? So, so when somebody says, I'd love for you to come to our parish gathering, I'll text you and I'll give you all the information, those people almost always show up. Um, it's people who fill out a Connect card but haven't made a personal contact, don't know, like, th- those people... And, and sometimes, yeah, like that's, that's just discipleship of other Christians, but, but sometimes people show up on Sunday because they're interested in faith and, and, and they don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like putting, putting names of parish leaders yeah. under it. That's a, that's a good idea. All right, it's 9.30. I, I promise, at least myself, that we wouldn't go past 9.30. So I'm going to pray. Uh, if you have specific questions after, Nick and I will hang out for a few minutes. Um, but we'll see you all next week. I hope this was helpful. Um, yeah. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, would, you, would you make us people who labor for your glory, for the good of others? Uh, pray that you would allow us to build relationships with those who don't know you. Uh, that we would see strangers become neighbors, neighbors become the family of God. I pray that we would believe what Paul says in Romans 1, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who would believe. That we would actually believe that the gospel is the power of God to salvation so that we wouldn't be ashamed of it. Like Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for these reasons. Pray that we wouldn't be ashamed of it, that we would walk boldly, faithfully, and humbly before our neighbors in hopes that they would experience the fullness of God's love for them, the fullness of God's grace toward them, and the fullness of inclusion in the family of God through hospitality. Uh, I pray that you'd bless our homes. Pray that you'd bless our meals. Pray that you'd bless our parishes and our parish gatherings to be proclamations of your goodness, your victory, and your kingdom in this neighborhood specifically. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I do want to emphasize one more point. So We're done. I know you said that, but I'm not listening to you. If you do feel overwhelmed or anxious about anything we just talked about, or if your initial reaction was, I don't think I can do any of this, I don't believe you, come talk to a parish leader or an elder or anyone else in this room. You can do it. We believe in you. Absolutely. Reach out. We love y'all. Thank y'all for coming.